0: This is Travis from Hey Thanks, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith. But I am not alone. I am back with a special guest co-host. This is two-time Album of the Year winner here at the new scene, Corey Brim of Glassing.
1: Bows gracefully. Thank you for having me. I am so stoked to be back and this time in the hosting chair or co-hosting chair. So thank you.
0: Did you ever think that you would be here co-hosting the show with me? I didn't because I thought it was going to be just me and Tommy forever.
1: Well, it was either that or going to skateboard with Tommy's family. And I can't get up at five in the morning and I hate going to that uh, store we shall not name. So I figured if I was going to be back, it would be in this regard. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it's great to have you here, Corey. And folks, it's great to have you back with us. We've got a very exciting episode this week. James Spence of Rolo Tomasi. It was a great conversation. We hear all about the band's history. We hear about their new record, Where Myth Becomes Memory. We hear about all of it. And that conversation is coming up very soon, so strap in. But first, folks, you have to support the scene, the news scene. And here's how you can do that. Follow us on social media, News Scene Pod, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Follow our YouTube channels. There's a main channel that has all the full podcast episodes. And there's a new Clips channel that has some highlighted moments from some of our favorite episodes. Give us reviews. We need reviews. We want them. They're rolling in. So thank you so much to everybody who has sent in a review. We're at 71 on Apple Podcasts and I think 65 on Spotify. Open up your Apple Podcasts or Spotify app. Give us a five-star review. And if you write a nice review in the Apple Podcasts app, I'll read it on the air. So... Thank you for everybody who was sending those in. And last but not least, we have a shirt. The Life is Music is Life. Long sleeve shirt is available at Deathwish Inc. Head on over to the store at Deathwish Inc., type in the new scene. The shirt will pop right up. Your purchase of that shirt helps directly
1: fund this show. So thank you so much to everybody who has purchased a shirt. Also, let me let me just jump in and say what are you, what is everybody waiting for? You've you've heard the man say this. The shirt's fantastic, the show's fantastic. Let's get on it, people.
0: You know what? Thank you, Corey. Your encouragement, I think, is gonna push people in the right direction. And it's it's nice to have some backup here, you know?
1: <laughs> yes, this isn't an echo chamber. We're here we're doing this for a reason. And look, I should also say that Deathwish does do good shirts. They they distro a bunch of shirts for a ton of different bands. I bought one from Grevo, which is a an awesome band. And it's the softest thing in the world. The screen printing's done well. I can tell you that every shirt they do is, is awesome. And this is a long sleeve too. So it's going to get cold, not right away, but you got to prepare. You got to think ahead. What are you waiting for?
0: Yeah. You know, there's a lot of air conditioning on in the summertime. I know that, um, if you're anything like me, you need a long sleeve on hand because Corey, I hate going into an establishment and the air conditioning is blasting and I'm just wearing a t-shirt and it's, it doesn't work for me. Oh yeah. Here's
1: my new thing. Instead of like, you know how you go to a movie theater and it's just freezing in there. And so you bring a hoodie and then you just end up carrying a hoodie around the movie theater in July, like an asshole. I bring long sleeves. You can like basically stuff it in your back pocket and you can support the new scene at the same time.
0: Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. There you go. I mean Corey makes a lot of great points folks. So in addition to supporting us, don't forget to support our sponsor, Iodine Recordings and there's a lot going on folks by the time you hear this, start living by the band Hey Thanks will be out. They have a new single out Fun Charade. That's my new new favorite single i mean everything i've heard from the album i love and i can't wait to hear the rest so make sure you go check that out there's a new single from her heads on fire called common shame that's a band featuring ex members of saves the day and garrisons it's a great post hardcore band go check that out there's a new single from one line drawing called don't give up we love that we love jonah so go check that out and last but not least corey there's some big news. Iodine will be reissuing "Busy Signal" at the Suicide Hotline by Drowning Man.
1: I think this band deserves this for many reasons, but they laid the groundwork for so many of these like technical, kind of noisy hardcore bands that you're seeing so much of a resurgence for right now, and it's about time. So thank you, Iodine.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's it, I love the record. I would periodically go over to YouTube to listen to it because it wasn't on streaming services. But folks, it is on streaming services right now. It's been remastered. There's a vinyl reissue coming in 2023. So keep an eye out for that. Can't wait to listen to the remaster.
1: You know, I think that one of the other things about like kind of doing the remasters is like you said, like not having to go back to YouTube, because like, how often did we go back? And I I know everyone's listening right now when you used to go listen to Botch on YouTube and stuff, unless you're like me and you have like the, the old school CD. Uh, Humble brag there, but like it's super cool to like see them remaster. It's not just like they're just rehashing it and then you know just releasing it for like you know a cash grab or whatever. They're actually putting some effort into it. So all about this.
0: So let's talk about some music news now, folks. I've got two recommendations for you this week. They are currently on the new scene Spotify 2022 playlist. So go check it out. We put all of our guests and all of the stuff I've listened to on that playlist. I've got a heavy one and a light one for you. The heavy one is a band called Model Prisoner. They are out of Philadelphia and feature members of the Minor Times and Inkling and others. The EP is called Compulsion Analysis. If you like really gritty, noisy, hardcore, you're going to love this. It, It reminds me of... You know the, Corey, you know the, uh, like the really hardcore sounding Converge songs, like the D beat, like the horse gallop drum beat, and they're just that real stripped down hardcore.
1: Do I? I might have uh, tried to crowd surf outside on the street on Monday at noon last week and fell on my head and still recovering from a concussion. I see. I didn't even pronounce the word concussion fully. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the answer is yes.
0: I, I This is what Model Prisoner reminds me of, and- Check it out, folks. It's really good. And the lighter recommendation, a band called House of Harm. uh, They have an album called Vicious Pastimes. I just saw this band open up for Soft Kill on Monday, and I'm going to talk about that gig in segment three. But wow, I, I was blown away by this band. But check out House of Harm, Vicious Pastimes. I have added a song to our Spotify 2022 playlist. Just search the new scene on Spotify and it'll pop up. So There you go. So Corey, have you heard any new music or has anything grabbed you lately?
1: Yes, I got a few for you. So uh, let's see. I would start with uh, the new album from Gospel. It's called The Loser. I believe they're from the Northeast. So Gospel is a band that incorporates organs into like screamy punk hardcore music. And it's incredible. So they had this album in 2005 where they were like, no other band was doing this kind of thing. The drumming's nuts. The the vocals were crazy. They have this line. It's like, hey, you, you got a cigarette, man. I know you got one on you. And I mean, they should have just made like a T-shirt with that lyric on it. It was incredible. I used to <laughs> say it like every five seconds when I was like 20. And so they put out a new album called The Loser. Um, really love that. On the black metal side of things, I would check out Haunter, a band from Texas. They put out an album called uh, Disincarnate Ales. They are completely crushing Europe right now. Super cool homies. I'm really happy for them. Another band on a completely other side of the music spectrum, um, members of uh, Russian circles, early Russian circles, and Pelican, a band called Relayer. And they put out an album called, uh, wait for it, Relayer. It's super good. It's actually um, named after a Yes album. The new Relayer album is very ambitious, just like a Yes album is, and it's super good. So that's it for this segment, folks. Check back in with us. It's segment three. We're going to talk about
0: Oblivion Access Fest, glassing played that we're going to talk about that crazy outdoor show that Corey was at where he fell on his head during converge we're going to talk about how we're doing but right now we are going to speak to james spence of rollo tamasi enjoy All right, folks, we're here now with James Spence. James, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you doing, Keith? I'm doing great, James. It's very exciting to have you here. You know, I discovered your band, Rolo Tomasi, recently, and I fell in love as soon as I heard it, and we'll talk more about that uh, in a minute. But first, James, I have to ask you, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. Yeah, it's... Um... It's been a very pleasant weekend. I live in Brighton uh, on the south coast of England. And yeah, it's about 8 p.m. here. I've been out in the sun all day, enjoying the weather. And uh, yeah, I feel good.
0: So you said you live in Brighton.
2: That's right. Yeah, I've been here for uh, about seven years now.
0: Where were you before that?
2: Uh, So before I was in Brighton, I lived in London for 18 months. Um, I was in Nottingham for about six or seven years and I grew up in Sheffield. Uh, I lived there till I was about 18 or 19.
0: What's your favorite? Are you more of a city guy or a country guy?
2: I like the balance of the two things. Um, I feel like Brighton does that quite well. Uh, it's a very small city, I would say. Uh, but we have the sea. There's a lot of good green space if you go a little, little out of the city. Um, and we're really close to London as well. It's an hour on the train. So I kind of feel that I have the benefit of London without being there all the time.
0: That's perfect. Yeah. You know, I live in Brooklyn in New York City right now, and I always thought, well, this is probably it. I'll live here forever. Maybe that's true, or maybe that's not. But now that I'm 40 years old, the more rural lifestyle with a short train ride to the city is sounding a lot better. For sure. (laughs) So tell us about growing up in Sheffield. How was it? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Set the stage for us a bit.
2: It was good. I mean, For clarity, so Sheffield is probably the nearest point of reference. Um, I grew up in a village about 30 minutes out of the city uh, called Stocksbridge. And uh, it's kind of an industrial slash like farming place. There's like a lot of farms. um, There's not a great deal going on, but we weren't too far out of the city. Um, I think one of the best things about Sheffield is its positioning in the country. It's in between a lot of other bigger cities that have a bit more going on it's kind of quite close by to Leeds and to Manchester um but also has its has its own culture and its own scenes and um as someone that was growing up and getting into music it was it was a great place to be there was there was an abundance of uh cool venues in Sheffield and like I said we weren't too far from um other places that that seems to be a slightly more vibrant at certain points. Like Sheffield would often get missed off of um, the touring cycle by more international bands. Uh, But we were never too far away from um, a show somewhere else. So yeah, I enjoyed living there and growing up there.
0: Nice. Yeah. I was going to ask about the music scene. It sounds like you were close to some good stuff, which is good. And I'm from a smaller town myself, just outside of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. But we created our own scene where many of the influences I've heard you mention in interviews would come through. We'd get Dillinger, we'd get Zayo, we'd get Converge, we'd get everybody, and then we could go see them again in the bigger markets. It was a real nice collective of music and people and bands
2: and friends that we had. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I think the issue sometimes that the UK has has with that is that obviously it's a much smaller place and that, you know... Cities that were nearby to us were like maybe thirty minutes away, and while sort of like more domestic bands, like bands from the UK, might play Leeds and Sheffield or Manchester and Sheffield, it's kind of it's a bit of a rarity that um people would do like multiple of those places, just because it's yeah, you, music in the UK has kind of always been slightly uh, oversaturated as like just because the yeah that is is what it is, but. um but yeah, Sheffield definitely had a good thing going. There's been a lot of really cool bands that have come out of it, certainly while while we've been around. Um obviously Bring Me the Horizon, I think, would probably be the biggest band that's um come out of kind of like heavier music um in, in Sheffield. But there's also bands like Sixty Five Days of Static, like a really interesting post rock band. Um
0: Oh, I love them, yeah.
2: Yeah, they they took us on like one of the first like proper in inverted commas tours that we ever did, really when uh gosh, maybe two thousand and six or two thousand and seven um I think that's a really cool thing about Sheffield. I think if you were involved in sort of an alternative scene it was it was really easy to meet most people that were involved in that. there was a period of time when I was maybe sixteen that I I worked on Saturdays in a sort of alternative clothing store. Um, and one of the guys from 65 worked in a shop next door that was owned by the same person. And I kind of met him through that. It was kind of quite a chance meeting, I suppose. And ultimately, yeah, it kind of, it helped us get to go and play shows with them because I at the time was a very, very excited teenager that probably wouldn't stop talking about my own band. And it, uh, it was, (laughs) it was enough to kind of put us in the shop window and, um, The result was, yeah, like, I think we did seven shows around the UK with them. And at the time, the London show that we did, it was like the biggest venue we'd ever played, which is very cool. I mean, there weren't a lot of people in there when we played, but it was an interesting lesson.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. How do you work it with uh, the friend you met through 65? Do you Do you just talk about your band and he asks to hear it? Or do you slide him a demo or ask about a show at some point? Like, how do you
2: work it? I think it was probably a combination of all those things. Um, I mean, truthfully, I I can't remember exactly how it would have gone. It was probably about 17 years ago at this point. Yeah. (laughs) But um, at the the time, we were kind of playing like a decent amount locally. So it was just a case of, I don't know, making him aware of what we were doing. Um, I think at this point, like, I was putting on a lot of shows myself. Because ultimately we didn't really we didn't know about getting shows from promoters and how you did any of that, so it was just easier to to book our own gigs and and to try and trade shows with other bands from other like nearby cities, so yeah, I think we were just starting to play and starting to make a little bit of a name for ourselves locally, maybe, and it just kind of reached a point where I think they'd taken enough notice to want to give us the opportunity. Which was really cool. it was um it was a very very good experience to get so early on, and something that we were very lucky to do, like I think we would have all still been in the equivalent of high school at the time, so yeah we 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 were very very lucky to to have that and to sort of form a meaningful relationship early on.
0: How old were you when the band first
2: started? Probably about fifteen or sixteen um yeah ar- around that age, I think.
0: Yeah, so you got a young start. We did,
2: yeah. I mean, all of us that were in the band at that point had been playing in bands for, for a few years, even by then. Like, we all started messing around with music when we were about 13 or 14. There was a very sort of um, enthusiastic crowd of like young musicians and people that were into sort of alternative music at the, at the school that I went to. And yeah, most of my closest friends, we all kind of got into bands and similar bands at the same time and and all played instruments um so the natural kind of conclusion of that was that we would start making music together um and yeah Rolo started when i was in sort of the final year of school so yeah i would have been 15 16 um but we didn't really start like doing anything that i would consider meaningful for like a couple of years it was very much like we were just rehearsing and, and still trying to figure out what that band was and what it what it meant
0: And one thing I didn't realize until doing some research about you is that vocalist Eva is your sister.
2: That's right. Yeah. So she got married um, a few years ago, so we don't share the same name anymore. So I can appreciate why, if you've only started listening to us recently, you might have missed that. Yeah.
0: Talk about the dynamic of starting the band with your sister. I mean, you guys must be pretty close and get along and have similar interests if you're able to start this band together.
2: Well, yeah, it's, it's that, absolutely. I mean, we're really sort of close age-wise. There's maybe like 18 months between us. And growing up, we we were into the same music. Like you said, we we shared the same interest. And for, for the most part, we shared a really similar group of friends. And it was, yeah, it was just something that we'd always been enthusiastic about together. Um, it's one of those things, I think, because of how young we were when we started it, it just was something that felt normal and natural. I think when when that's all you know, it's it's not something that necessarily doesn't feel unusual. Um and it's in yeah, I think for us it's kind of stranger that it's something that people have always wanted to highlight so much. Um maybe because it's at a point when people that have siblings, you know, they've had their interest in music and they can't imagine it being something that they would share like sort of years later. But for us, because it's been something that's been an ever present, it would feel weirder to for it to not be the case, I suppose.
0: Yeah, when I think about it in terms of myself and my family, it's weird because my older brother I barely talked to at all when he was in high school, and my younger brother I was kind of at odds with sometimes. But if you're just in it, if you guys have the same friends and you like the same music, it just makes sense. That was it. Definitely.
2: It was um yeah, it all came supernaturally. Plus the band I toured with had two brothers in it, so it's like it's not completely out of the ordinary. Well, that's it. And yeah, there's plenty of bands that you know, we've played with over the years where there's been siblings in the band. But yeah, just I think obviously we were at the time and even now, I suppose, a little bit of an outlier um as being a brother and sister.
0: So talk about the early days of the band and the inspiration that went into it. I thought this was like a brand new band that exploded onto the scene and you only had two records. I heard the latest record where Myth Becomes Mystery and went back and listened to Time Will Die. And Love Will Bury It. So I'm like, oh, these guys have exploded onto the scene and they're doing wonderful things. But then looking back more, I mean, you've been around for close to two decades. You have a lot of material, a lot of fantastic material that's changed a lot over the years. So talk about the beginning.
2: So I think early on, um, we, the group of people that were in the band at that time, um, because it's a different group of people now, ultimately, um, we all sort of discovered... A bunch of heavy bands at the same time and were just kind of blown away by it. There was no one else sort of locally to us that sounded like these bands, and we just wanted to do something that was kind of a reaction to that. And I'm talking about bands like The Dillinger Escape Plan, uh The Locust, Converge, The Blood Brothers. And for us, yeah, that was it was just very, very exciting. Um and and kind of unlike anything that we'd heard, I suppose parts of it did feel like a slightly more, well, a slightly sort of natural extension of some of the kind of punkier stuff that we'd been into before. Like, uh, I think before this, everyone was kind of quite into skate punky stuff like Bat Records and and Epitaph bands. Um, So it wasn't like, you know, we'd not been listening to distorted guitars or anything and then all of a sudden we started getting into Dillinger. It was sort of, I suppose, a natural evolution in terms of our tastes. And yeah, we decided to form this band to kind of try and do our, our take on, on what we were into at the time. And this was at a time as well when in the UK, at least like, I suppose metalcore was what was like super popular. Um, so I think even then, we definitely felt we were kind of going against the grain a bit and and we had to sort of really work to kind of find like kindred spirits and and bands that we could play with. Which, to be honest, has always been uh, the case. Really, like it's, it's. Kind of, I suppose it's difficult for us to to play in a bill with bands that we sound exactly like. And sometimes that's good. <laughs> sometimes that's not so good. But, um, but yeah, I mean, at the time in the early days, we were very young, very enthusiastic, and sometimes that made it hard to find shows. Um, you know, when you're 16, bars and their owners don't necessarily want to let you into to play music. Um, and yeah, it wasn't always easy to be taken seriously, I suppose. Um, I think a lot of people looked on our band as more of a novelty rather than, um, rather than anything with any sort of artistic merit. And you know what, looking back on it, maybe it was uh, a little bit. Um, I think definitely if we played with a band now, I'm, I'm 33 years old, if we played with some people that were 16, they would probably look like they were 16 and it would be unusual. Um, But I think at the time we were just kind of, uh, I don't know, really sort of headstrong and, um, and wanted to be taken very seriously. But yeah, we, we started playing shows and and touring as as soon as we could. Um, We wrote a lot of music. We self-released because we didn't know how we could find people to release our music. And we just kind of kept at it and I suppose things started to happen very organically. Um, and that was with just meeting people at, at shows who would then kind of go to release music for us or help us out with other shows and tours. And yeah, we just um, we just got out there and kind of got in amongst it and and just worked hard. Um, and that's a lot of what I remember about the early shows and the early days.
0: I love to hear that because when I was younger and putting together bands and doing that kind of stuff, I think I was waiting for the right situation to be handed to me or looking for people to do things for me. Like, hey, can you get me on this show? No. Okay, I guess I can't play a show. But it sounds like you're out there just getting it done. You're booking your own shows. You're out there networking. You're self-releasing. You're doing it. You have the passion. You are getting this thing done.
2: Yeah, it's it's one of those (laughs) things where I think it would be quite easy for me to sort of look back on it nostalgically and and make it out like it was this, I don't know, huge power play to like be a super DIY band or whatever. But it was very much kind of coming from um, a naive perspective of just sort of being like, oh, well, we really want to do this. So we'll just do it. Um, It doesn't really matter that, you know, that there's no one else there to kind of do it for us. This is kind of just, you know, there's no sort of alternative to to not doing it so we'll just do it um i think we kind of arrived at um a bit of an interesting point for music generally it's kind of i suppose we are a band because of our ages and when we started playing that straddles kind of the internet starting to play a big point in in bands careers and like sort of the rise of social media as um as something like you know i'm kind of i've been around for long enough at this point to kind of remember dial-up internet and uh and all that kind of thing and also to have taken advantage of of MySpace at the time and you know we absolutely were using that to to book tours as as an early tool and things like that but um yeah it's it's kind of it's it's strange it's something I've thought about recently really that um yeah I don't really know how bands would do it now kind of get TikTok famous or whatever and uh, and then go and play shows but for us it was just about kind of actually tangibly going to to do something um taking advantage of those tools that we had and and getting to work
0: you know that naivete that you mentioned when coming into something i think that's the best way to do it because you you have the drive and you're just getting things done and you're not getting overwhelmed or discouraged by things that you see like like with this podcast i got into podcasting pretty naive and didn't even really think about it at all now had i known more about it or known that there's like 100 other great music podcasts out there I might have been discouraged but I just kind of went into it blind and it was like all right let's do this thing
2: well for sure and I think you know it can also sort of stave off any kind of cynicism to what you do and um I think it it makes you just go in with with better intentions ultimately
0: you mentioned that you fought for a long time to not be perceived as a novelty band now I guess I can see that because if Metalcore is the big thing and you're doing your thing, which sounds pretty different from Metalcore, you know, it sounds like Locust, it sounds like an Albatross, it sounds like Dillinger Escape Plan, but with Synth. Talk about fighting through that novelty. What did you do? How did you overcome it? Was it just time and experience?
2: I think it was just that. I think it was just um, just being resilient and ultimately staying true to the music that we were passionate about and that we wanted to write. I think, you know, having stuck around for long enough, I can see that we definitely survived a lot of like very faddy kind of scenes that <laughs> blew, blew up and died out. And, you know, our band definitely kind of we've never really had to dramatically change what we do to, to kind of remain. I think if, if all you're trying to do is be relevant, then there will become a point very quickly where you're not because you know music it moves and changes so quickly um that it's 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 hard to do that and sort of remain honest. Um I think for us it was just all about creating music that we we enjoyed and that we liked. And I think we were yeah, just sort of stubborn enough to stick at that. And um and that's kind of something that helps us in the long run, I think.
0: Definitely. There's a real natural progression. When you go through and listen to the whole discography like I have, it's not like you're doing one thing and then all of a sudden, okay, here's the next album, and it's completely different. You've been around for a long time, and the sound has progressed slowly over that time.
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. I think it's um, it's something that's just basically developed as, as we have, um, and it's changed gradually with our tastes. I definitely think um, there's kind of almost at this point, like sort of a house style that we have almost. Um, I think that's something that's naturally going to happen when you spend so much time working on like a body of work, I suppose. And ultimately we just kind of add embellishments and new, new dimensions to that um, without ever kind of, for me, straying too far from, from what it is that maybe pulled you in as a listener in the first place
0: talk about some significant moments for the band in getting out of Sheffield and getting more recognized in the world now you had this tour early on with 65 days of static that was one thing what else how did you start to see things
2: growing so we were touring a lot just just generally um we finished i'm trying to think of the timeline at this point i mean i'm probably going to confuse exactly when these sorts of things happened but you'll have to forgive me like i said it was a very long time ago Um, we finished high school, um, and basically just started touring like as hard as you can in within the UK with the view to kind of give it a go before potentially going to university uh, or college, I suppose. And, um, within that year, uh, we ended up being signed to Hassle Records and, We'd already started work on the material at that point, but yeah, we put together our first record, Hysterics. I mean, this is already sort of three years in from when the band started. I think up until that point, there'd been a lot of EPs and Split 7 Inches and 7 Inches and more EPs. So we'd already been writing a lot within the first three years without a- actually releasing an album. So I think, yeah, one of the first big things for us was, was signing with a label that was distributing our music outside of the uk and that kind of gave us the platform and enabled us to start playing shows internationally um i think it would have been on the back of that record that that we came to the states and did south by southwest um i think that would probably have been 2008 or 2009 2009 probably how was that like your first u.s gig it was incredible um it's something that i still remember vividly i think Crucially for us, none of us was twenty one yet. Um, so it was quite sort of a shock um getting out there and kind of sort of seeing the US bar scene, I suppose. And especially at something like South By where like everything's a bar and, you know, (laughs) yeah, like having to walk in and get our sort of hands X'd up because we didn't have ID. Um, especially having just kind of only recently turned eighteen in the UK, which is sort of the legal drinking age, was kind of quite an interesting thing, I suppose, culturally to see how that kind of worked. But I mean, South by is just kind of, it's just kind of wild anyway. I mean, I I even got the impression at the time from people that were kind of seasoned members of the audience that as a festival that we'd kind of maybe missed its heyday and it was already starting to be a bit more commercial and all the things that people usually say about something when they were already saying that in 2008. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, wow, it was the kind of thing though. I think if you're one of the lucky people that were around for something when it was maybe it's coolest or newest or whatever you're always going to kind of talk trash about what it's become even if it's you know still a perfectly reasonable thing that most bands are able to use and kind of get something out of i think it's kind of maybe just um some people letting nostalgia get the better of them but um but yeah i mean i remember going there and i was just so 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 blown away by the amount of shows that were happening the amount of bands that were playing um i remember just trying to fit in seeing so so many bands play um because a lot of these bands were sort of bands that i was aware of just because of the internet that hadn't necessarily made it over to england yet i'm talking about bands like like health the Meshi, genghistron cassio tone for the painfully alone like a, like a lot of artists that like me and eva particularly were really into and for me it was just wild getting to go and, and see them play um i think we did like it was something like seven shows in five days it was like it was really sort of heavy going like we were never really used to playing more than a show in a day and when you're having to do that and kind of like carry all of your gear across town and set up in really crowded unusual spaces and on top of that you're kind of meeting quite a lot of people and it's really really warm and you're jet lagged and (laughs) it's um ultimately I remember it being quite overwhelming
0: It must have been overwhelming in a great way. I mean, you're 18 years old, you're playing your first gigs at South by Southwest in the US, and there's like seven of them in five days.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I say overwhelming. I mean, I mean, it in a very good way. It's kind of just, it's the sort of thing I think, being in our late teens and early 20s was probably something that we benefited from just having the kind of energy and the stamina to do that kind of thing. I think if I was having to do that now, it would be a different story entirely. But we kind of we had the sort of enthusiasm and the sort of um, the energy to kind of to maintain being there and also like you know playing and wanting to go and see shows and see what was going on in um, in Austin. But uh, yeah, that was definitely sort of one of the first kind of it was a real sort of landmark moment because it was on the back of that that we uh, would ultimately end up coming to work with Diplo who did the second record that we did. Did he produce that? Yeah, so he was involved as the as the producer for our second album, Cosmology, and that was because he he saw us play at one of the showcases that we did at South by.
0: Oh, that's incredible! Yeah, I was reading about that a little bit, and I know he was huge or is huge in Philly because I don't. I used to go to DJ nights and that kind of thing. I never loved the music, but I did really love getting high. So yeah, you know, good place to do that at the DJ events, and he yeah he was
2: like he's like a big thing, but that was it. I think it was it was one of those things where at the time I didn't realize what that it was a big deal that he wanted to work with us because it was so far removed from from what I was into, but it was sort of people around me that made me aware that it was a like unusual and b like probably kind of a big deal, and that he was a name, i suppose um and yeah. it's kind of you know. Gave me his credentials and the other things that he'd been involved with. So, yeah, we ended up coming back to the US a few months later to um, to record a, a record in in Los Angeles with with him. Which again, you know, it's something that happened. I mean, nearly thirteen years ago. But but it's something that I suppose is still is still interesting and still sort of a bit of an outlier that people want to talk to us about it. So again, it's like yeah, it's part of the band's history, I suppose. But yeah, again, it was an incredible experience to to be there and to be um, to be able to do that and to make a record in, in the States. It was something that didn't ever seem like it would be feasible. So yeah, very, very cool time.
0: Yeah, it must be very affirming for you and the rest of the band. I mean, you're coming to the US to play for the first time. You get noticed by this producer artist, and now you're coming back to LA to record a record. That's the dream, right?
2: Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you read about happening to other bands and the kind of for it to happen to our band. I mean, even now it's kind of quite, it's quite surreal to sort of hear the whole story kind of uh, distilled into how you just put it because it is, you know, makes it sound so simple, but there's so many moving parts that go into something like that. And there's just so much sort of chance and circumstance that goes into something like that happening. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's something that we did and something that again, I'll, I'll remember forever because it was just such um just a wild experience. Yeah.
0: So you're fresh out of high school, touring the world with your sister. Are your parents freaking out? Do they want you to go to university? Are they uh, telling you that you better take care of her and all this other stuff? What's their reaction to it?
2: Um, I mean, my mom is sort of one of our biggest supporters going and always has been and has always kind of championed our decision to to pursue this. I never had any pressure to go back to school. Um, It was always kind of very much do this you don't know how long you're gonna be able to do this for there are other things in your life that can wait and this is sort of all about opportunity and and taking taking chances while you have the opportunity to take chances so she's always been incredibly um encouraging of us of us doing it
0: i love that my parents too i i failed out of college and had the opportunity to go tour with a friend's band and i was like hey what if i did this and my parents were like okay so simple.
2: It's, it is. I mean, it, it, I'm, I feel very fortunate that that's the case. Like it wasn't the case with other members of the band who would eventually kind of come to leave and, and go back to school. Um, but again, it's just, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it takes a lot of, um, a lot of commitment and and a lot of understanding and it's, it's not necessarily a lifestyle or a life choice ultimately that that everyone will understand, especially people's parents. So yeah, very, very fortunate that um, I've always been incredibly encouraged to do it.
0: Are you and Eva the engine that keeps this thing going? Because the band has been around for a long time. People have come and gone. And I, I've been in this situation where I'm trying, trying to hold a band together and I just can't do it. And so I gave up. But are you and Eva kind of the glue that holds this thing together?
2: Um, I think that would be a, a huge disservice to the other guys that, that play in the band. Um, we We had like the sort of first significant member changes uh like 2011 so this is only a couple of years after that record had come out and and you know the two the bassist and the guitarist that came in at that point are still playing in the band now they've been playing in the band for yeah more than 10 years at this point and oh so pretty seasoned oh yeah they're completely integral to it i mean they've played on and and written four of the records of the of the six that um that are available and yeah they're um we couldn't yeah the band wouldn't exist with without them and and their sort of contributions to it which are yeah immeasurable so yeah i mean you know it was something that me and eva started and kind of persevered with but um but everyone that's involved with it right now is is completely essential to to the band and what the band has been for the last 10 years
0: So when those member changes happened, you weren't thinking, well, I guess that's it. You just find the next people and you form the new situation.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it was probably a little bit more stressful than that at the time. Um, I think there was definitely sort of concerns that any sort of member change would be like harmful. And there's like a lot of things to kind of work through with that. And, you know, time's very much of the essence, because I think we felt that if we didn't kind of Get ourselves together and and really quickly kind of get new material out that people would kind of forget about what we were doing and yeah, but we were i suppose fortunate at this point that we'd kind of been we'd been touring playing shows making friends around the country for like i don't know five or so years, and that we'd met a lot of like minded people that we knew were great musicians um and we were just very very fortunate that the first people that we asked to do it said yes with a complete right fit and Incredibly into the idea of, of doing it.
0: So talk about more about the band's evolution and sound. I would say around grievances, you shifted towards a more ethereal sound. We have some more clean vocals. We got a little bit away from the the more scream out style stuff. What influenced you? How did you do it? Do you sit down and say this is what we're going to do, or does it just happen naturally?
2: I think it's definitely something that happened naturally. I think if we um, if we kind of put too much forethought into it, it would just kind of end up sounding a little conceited. Um, I think ultimately what happened was we were listening to different music. I think this is a point probably where I was kind of listening to maybe some more electronic music and kind of ambient stuff and wanted to kind of work that in. And ultimately grievances, I mean, the record that came before that, australia was the first that we had new members join on. And writing that record was it was like learning how to be in a band again. Um it was kind of really sort of redistributing the balance of the songwriting, figuring out how to make music together with these new people. And I think The Grievance has been the second record we've done with, uh, with Chris, who plays guitar, and Nathan, who plays bass. It was sort of them more confidently being able to kind of contribute to, to the band generally. Um, I think a lot of the kind of darkness on that record and the kind of ethereal stuff that you're talking about was definitely um, something that Chris brought in um he's a big fan of um you know bands like call of luna um that kind of sort of more crushing doomy kind of post metal almost i suppose and you know that was really him putting his stamp on what we were doing but yeah i think the music was always going to naturally change given that we'd pretty much replaced 50% of the people that wrote it <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah it was just kind of a case of it happening over the course of a couple of records and then eventually we kind of sort of settled on a bit more of a direction. And I think ultimately just got more comfortable writing together and and knew what we all brought to the table and and how we could kind of contribute to the, I suppose, greater vision of it, if I can say that without sounding too pretentious.
0: No, no, I'm with you, James. I love everything the band is doing. So that, that does not come off pretentious at all. When did Eve decide to try clean singing? Did you know that she could sing? Did it surprise the hell out of
2: everyone when she did it? Because her her voice is just beautiful. I love it. The screaming and the singing. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it, it's something that's always kind of been there in the background, maybe just slightly less prevalent. Um, Like even on some of the really early stuff we did, there was definitely a few tracks that had a bit of singing on. And then across like the first few records, there was at least a bit of singing on everything. I think we just kind of reached a point where the music that was being written, just there was more space for it in there. Obviously, we knew that she could sing. So it wasn't like it felt like a huge risk writing more clean parts or even heavy parts that just singing was a better fit for. Um, I think, again, it was just something that was a very natural transition for us that the music kind of allowed sort of a bed for that style of vocals. Um, I mean, I suppose ultimately, yeah, the the way that we write and have historically always written is that we'll, we'll write music and we'll kind of have finished tracks that we'll then pass on to Eva and she'll then work on vocals. Um, It's very kind of rare that we would amend something a lot after that, unless there was real kind of call for it. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll write music. She'll kind of get it and then, and then work on the vocals on, on her own. So yeah, it was it was just a case of the, what we were writing musically at that point. Just um, gave her more of an opportunity to to show that side of what she can do.
0: I was reading some interviews with you, and you said in one of them, "If your aim isn't to be your own favorite band, what's the point?" And I really agree with this. You know, I want to create something that I don't hear out in the world, or that I feel isn't there. And I feel like you've done this with your band, especially. With the new album, Where Myth Becomes Memory. Now, I heard the single Cloaked when you guys first put it out. And I I never heard of the band before that. It ended up on my playlist. I don't know how. I don't remember adding it. I don't know who showed it to me. But I was like, what is this? So I put it on, and I listened to it, I think, 10 times in a row. Wow! And James, I live for these moments with new music. Because, you know, as you get older you don't discover quite as much new music as you did when you're 18. And I, I'm always searching for that big hit that you get when you, when you discover like a, uh, a new band doing something new and exciting
2: that excites you. I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. When's the last time it happened to you? You know what, as you, as you mentioned it and put it in those terms, I was just trying to think of the, the point when, yeah, something really, really struck a chord with me to, to that extent. Um, and, and, you know what, I've got my Spotify open now and I'm just kind of looking through it um, just to see if there's anything that I listened to recently that was like, oh yeah, it was that. But um, I mean, what I would say is just um just give me a bit of time and I like it's gonna I'll have the Eureka moment in a little while and I'll be like, <laughs> oh my god, it's that. Like that was the thing that I heard recently that like really did it for me. But um, <laughs> Yeah, like I mean that's really flattering to hear. Like thank you like and you know as as someone that is ultimately like a huge music fan and I know what those moments are like and it's it does mean a lot to kind of hear that yeah what we're doing is um is scratching that itch for someone else.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love the record. It's one of my favorites of the year by far. So let's talk about this record. Now, folks, once again, where myth becomes memory. If you haven't heard it, you have to. You have to today, you have to this week, so make sure you get it done. Now, you started recording this, I guess, around 2019-ish, right? Yeah. um, Or I
2: should say you started writing it. Sorry, you are right. I think, you know what, Like the last few years and everything that's kind of gone on with the pandemic has kind of skewed my perception of time so much.
0: Yeah, it's impossible to perceive time anymore post-pandemic it's just you can't
2: yeah i mean you told me that we started r- recording that in 2019 and i believed you because yeah as far as, <laughs> as far as i was concerned that 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 seemed feasible um i used the wrong word yeah <laughs> i mean it worked. um but yeah we we started writing it definitely that in in that year i mean maybe even a few months after the the record before it had come out i think we we released time of that in love of in 2018 and and the whole process of writing that had been so enjoyable and and fruitful that we were kind of of the opinion that we should just keep going like why why would we stop making music when we were in such a good place with it um we may as well kind of continue to take advantage of the fact that we'd kind of hit this really rich vein of productivity and and form with, with the writing so we never really stopped i suppose um there's a few tracks on on when there comes memory that definitely were written yeah if literally the months that followed the release of, of Love Will Um, I definitely remember we, we wrote Prescience really early on. Um, we wrote Closer really early on, but I suppose that's kind of how it usually goes with, with writing albums. Definitely the last few is that maybe there's a, a handful of ideas from the previous record that you'll, you'll have left and you kind of need to, to write a song that kind of ties all those loose ends together so that you can then start on something that's really fresh and really new so I think we probably started really focusing on, on writing for an album, um, in, in 2019, um, when the kind of the touring for the previous record was kind of starting to come to an end. And then, yeah, we, we, we were kind of getting to work with that and, and then time stopped as, um, as we just mentioned, and it kind of definitely, um, definitely changed the proceedings and, uh, I suppose, affected how we were able to do things. Um, I'm not sure if you knew, but so Eva lives in the U S she lives in New Jersey. Um,
0: Yes. I read that. Yeah.
2: So she was obviously unable to come back to the UK. Um, Chris, our guitar player, he lives in, in London, Uh, the rest of the band is in Brighton. So immediately we're in this kind of position where we weren't able to sort of meet up as, as frequently and, and everything kind of had to sort of transition to, to being written purely remotely. Um, I mean, I suppose one thing for us, we'd always ha- always had an element of that because it, it's been a really long time since every member of our band has lived in the same place. But, you know, we'd periodically be able to get together and rehearse, at you know, whenever we chose to. Um, and that was something that was kind of taken away, I suppose, halfway through writing this record. Um, so, so, yeah, then we were kind of stuck in our houses and uh, different people were finding different levels of productivity available to them at different times I think it was it wasn't always easy it didn't kind of come naturally I think you know at the beginning the notion of being just, just stuck at home with all this time to yourself was sort of what I'd always wanted in terms of being able to like really focus on music um, and have time to kind of practice and and play and and play around with ideas but ultimately I didn't always feel that I wanted to do it um I think it was a hard lesson to learn but I think I kind of came out of it realizing that I needed the balance of everything else in my life to kind of feel creative I, I need kind of everything else to go on to to want to go and write music it's not kind of just a tap you can turn on but I suppose fortunately we kind of all went through those sorts of feelings at different points so there was always someone that seemed to be getting something done <laughs> um <laughs> So that by the time we were able to kind of get together, um, we had enough material to to really work out um, a bunch of songs. And I think given that everyone had spent more time developing material on their own than they normally would have, by the time that it got to presenting it to the rest of the band, the ideas were just so much more fully formed. And and we've been able to trim the fat a lot sooner than we normally would. And it just meant that we were, yeah, just, just considerably more productive. Um, than we ever have been. And I think I think that shows on the record, uh, for sure. I think the ideas, to me, sound and, and feel a lot more developed than they have on, on previous records. And, and I know that, yeah, that, that is definitely down to the environment that it had to be written in.
0: Absolutely. I can affirm that. Everything just sounds so tight and concise and perfect. So you're writing during lockdown... Did you have to learn how to do things remotely and softwares and all this stuff, or did you already have some of that infrastructure in place since people are are a bit spread out?
2: Exactly that. It's something that um we'd already kind of pivoted to working that way. So it wasn't as if we kind of had to really start it all from scratch and kind of really get back to basics. It was something that we'd we'd gotten pretty well sort of practiced with on, on the previous couple of records. Um and I think, you know, we, we'd always known that Eva was going to be living in another country when we, when we wrote this. Um, I just think there was an assumption that she would at least be able to come home and play the songs with us before we recorded them, which, which she wasn't able to do. Like, we'd never played the songs together when, when she went in and, uh, and tracked the vocals. Um, and it was only several months later when we, when we played our first show um, in October of last year that we had even played the songs together.
0: What was that like? I mean, that must have been crazy.
2: It was quite surreal. And I suppose because of the way that we'd rehearsed it and how personally, like I play off certain people for, I suppose, my cues to like kind of change and know what's coming up next and and that sort of thing. um, To kind of have something else introduced into that was a bit, um, I don't want to say off-putting, but it definitely kind of threw me a little bit. It was almost as if I had to relearn how to play the songs again. Uh, because there was this new new element that had been introduced um but I mean you know it was there was definitely a great sense of relief that it worked. I think it would have been um would have been another story if kind of Eva had turned up in it and it didn't sound good but um <laughs> yeah i mean it it did fortunately, so yeah, we're okay absolutely
0: and the thing I love about this band is how seamlessly you can shift between sounds because. I don't know, sometimes when a band does it, it can sound forced or awkward, but you can do it in the same song, or you can have a super heavy song, or you can just have a lighter song. Uh, you're living the dream. You can do it all in the same band.
2: Well, we're trying our best. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's um, <laughs> something that comes with, yeah, a lot of a lot of practice, a lot of trial and error, and, and just experience of writing music together, really, I think. Um, I think over time, we've become good at Knowing what we each individually contribute and and knowing how to arrange songs together to sort of play to the strengths of of everyone as individuals and everyone's instruments and yeah, I think over time you know you develop chemistry the more you do this and and I think the the big difference is that we we all just got a lot better at kind of being able to articulate our ideas to each other. I think early on, definitely I remember sort of having quite grand ideas for for music and what I wanted the band to sound like, but never really being able to sort of explain it properly um, or like find the kind of musical language for it maybe, or, or just language generally. But, um, but yeah, over time, I think it's something that we've we've grown with t- together as, as, as a group.
0: Absolutely. So how has the reception to where myth becomes memory, the new LP been? you must have all kinds of crazy offers rolling in, Late night talk shows,
2: big tours <laughs> um it's been very, very positive, and we're we're really really pleased with um with how it's been received ac- across the board really um I'm still waiting for um for Jimmy Kimmel to get in touch, but um yeah,
0: he has to he he would be a fool not to, so you had a headlining tour recently. I saw some pictures that that looked like uh, some great crowds. How were the shows
2: very good I mean you know it's. It's the longest amount of time ever that we've not toured for in, in all of my adult life. To to have taken an involuntary, like three-year break from touring was strange when it's something that you become so accustomed to, even if it's only something that happens kind of periodically. Like I wouldn't want to make out like with this band that tours super, super hard, um, at least anymore. But um it was uh just a huge relief to to be back and doing something so familiar after after a few years of, you know, very sort of unfamiliar experiences, I suppose. And yeah, it took us a few days to get into the swing of things, definitely. But um, by the middle of it, we kind of really had hit our stride um, with how comfortable we felt on stage and how the material was to play. And and yeah, by the end of it, it was just um, quite easily the best sort of headlining tour we've ever done. Um, and that was kind of, yeah, a huge huge relief and just something that we all kind of felt very hugely proud of, I suppose. Um, You know, a lot, a lot of work went into kind of getting to that point and, and to to have finished it and and for it to have gone the way that it did, we were, we're all very, very pleased about it.
0: It's got to be the best feeling because it's a long time to get from writing the record to performing those shows even longer because of the shutdowns and everything else that
2: happened. Well, this was it. I mean, you know, we recorded the album in, um, in january of of 2021 and then it came out in february of 2022 so you know it's it's a full year afterwards and i mean it was quite unusual doing all the press for the record because you know they're asking us all these questions about about how the recording was and it was at that that point i I couldn't really (laughs) answer the questions that sort of honestly almost because i was like was it was a year ago like i can just about remember what i had for breakfast today so you know you're asking me about like (laughs) How I felt recording something a year ago. Um, so yeah, it was that—that it, that was sort of a real strange element to it as well. Sort of having to sit on the album for that long until I mean, the, the, the thinking behind it was we we wanted to try and delay the release of it to a point that we knew we'd be able to tour. Um, we didn't just want to put a record out and then it, it sort of be up in the air about when we could play gigs again. Um, for us, like being able to get out and tour it was sort of an essential part of that process. So we pushed it back to February with um, with that in mind. And I mean, we still had to cancel the the mainland Europe shows um, just because of the COVID sort of restrictions there at, at that point. But we were able to kind of add a few extra UK dates at the last minute and, and make sort of a longer run out of it at least. Um, and yeah, it was just, like I said, just, just really, really great. And I think um, there was definitely sort of a mood in the room that I think a lot of people we're ready for shows to be back and we're kind of grateful to be there and to to sort of have something that kind of um, was like, yeah, a signifier that things were moving in the right direction with, with the pandemic.
0: When you're sitting on the record for a year, do you almost think, oh, it's just never coming out? Or do you forget about it or get sick of it? I mean, that's a long time to be sitting on a record.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was it was hard not to feel frustrated by it. I think... For me, it was just about making sure that as soon as it was out, we were ready to go and making sure that we were kind of rehearsing sort of semi regularly and and also just trying to just to be patient with it i mean ultimately the u k was sort of in a state of lockdown to a varying degree between the January that we recorded it up until I think about September of that year anyway, so I think you know everyone's expectations with the previous year in mind had completely been um, reset just with impatience and and everything that goes with that. So at no point did it kind of feel like a hardship, I suppose. Um, I think we were just grateful that we'd been able to go and make it. Um, And we knew that it was going to come out at some point. And like I said, you know, because it was evidently clear at that stage that gigs for the most part would not happen that year it didn't feel like too much of an issue to kind of just sit around and wait on it. I think we did feel a degree of confidence in the album itself. We we were really happy with it. And and we felt that, you know, it, it was something that was going to be worth waiting on.
0: Absolutely. 100%. So during that year, during all the lockdowns, how do you cope? What do you do to pass the time? It sounds like the band takes up a significant amount of time, but what else do you do?
2: uh i watched a lot of movies um i try i tried to tried to read as much as possible and i actually studied a little bit as well um i did a course online uh for a little bit and what course uh so i did it was just a very general arts and humanities course with the open university um it was kind of a, a course that was specifically aimed at people that were potentially looking to go back to studying but taking a bit of a break in education um and I was able to kind of do that for free. Um, so I took the opportunity to just have a go at doing it, to see how it made me feel. And it was nice to have routine. And I yeah, I enjoyed doing it. It was, it was something that kind of occupied me and uh, stopped the brain rot ultimately.
0: Yeah, I felt grateful as well. I was in a relationship at the time and that took up a lot of time. And this podcast launched right as the shutdown started. And we're a weekly show, we're on every week, so there's a lot of production that goes into this, so I'm I'm grateful that there was plenty to keep me busy, because, well, I don't know what I would have done otherwise. Yeah,
2: I mean, it was, uh, yeah, a very strange period of time, for sure. Um, but yeah, I was just like, you know, I, I kind of got through it, by keeping as busy as possible, and it sounds like you did too, so...
0: Absolutely. How are things over there now? Are restrictions lifted? Is there mask mandates? What's going on?
2: Everything's lifted. There's no longer a mask mandate. Um, I don't even think you have to legally stay at home if you have COVID at this point. So it's it feels kind of very much business as usual. Um, I mean, I think the only sort of reminder that COVID is a thing is I work in music outside of, of doing the band and every now and then, like, a show that I'm supposed to be working will get cancelled because someone has COVID. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it feels that our government is kind of choosing to to just move on with it and uh, t- just to try and, yeah, just get through it that way. And whether or not that's the right thing is, uh, I suppose it remains to be seen. But um, But, yeah, you know, there's no restrictions in place. You can basically do whatever you like.
0: Yeah, pretty much same here. I still wear a mask when I'm around crowds because I haven't gotten the virus yet, as far as I know, and I don't want to.
2: I mean, yeah, I've had it twice already, um, and oh. I can confirm it's it's not very fun. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't blame you for trying to avoid it.
0: How are you feeling? Do you still have any lingering symptoms? Are you doing okay?
2: Well, you know, I actually just had it like a couple of weeks ago, um, oh. and I still feel like a bit fatigued. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not stopping me doing anything. Um, you know, I'm still able to kind of, yeah, have a normal carry on and and sort of exercise and do all the things that I want to do. I just get a bit more tired, but you know what? That could quite easily just be getting older as well. I don't want to necessarily put it specifically at the the doorstep of um, the coronavirus.
0: Yeah. How old are you?
2: Uh, I'm 33.
0: Okay. Yeah. See, I just turned 40 and I'm finally starting to feel really tired not just regular <laughs> tired but like i can't go outside for more than three hours i gotta go sit down got it yeah <laughs> but it took this long so i'll I'll go with it yeah why not and i i'm afraid of the virus because i feel fatigued just normally and or my brain feels scrambled and i have trouble remembering things i mix up people's names so i don't even want to think about what would happen post covid
2: well this is it i mean the kind of the fog that comes with it and uh yeah, the kind of COVID brain <laughs> elements <laughs> to, uh, to it, uh, a very real, you know, like it was, I think the main thing that kind of had for me personally, when I had it a few weeks back was just not really being able to concentrate on anything. Um, and you know, I, I'm someone that likes to try and be as productive as possible when, when I have a task at hand, um, or when I don't have a task at hand, trying to find a task to do. <laughs> So not really kind of having the capacity for that was quite uh, frustrating, I suppose.
0: There's nothing worse than just having to sit there and do nothing. I'm crazy with, I always want to be doing something, whether it's working on the show or going to band practice or meeting up with somebody or cleaning. I just always have to be doing something and maybe that's healthy and maybe not. But last time I got really sick, I just had to lay there in bed
2: and it was was not a good time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm... I'm very much the same. I was, yeah, a lot of time spent on the uh, on the couch.
0: Let's talk about what we've got coming up. Now we've got this new record out. Do we have? Do we have more tours? Do we have more dates?
2: We do. So, I mean, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to air. I don't know if you have sort of a release schedule for it. By that time, we very well may have uh, announced US tour dates. So, um,
0: oh, now this is a question I was going to ask about. I, I went through all of your old tour dates that I could find on the internet. And I didn't see a U.S. tour or a U.S. run. I saw one show at Brooklyn Bazaar, which I live right near in 2017. And I was like, damn it. I didn't know about them back then.
2: So we um, we toured the U.S. twice in the last few years. Both times was supporting the number 12 Looks Like You. Um, ah. So we did a, an East Coast run in 2017 that finished at the Brooklyn Bazaar. And the following year, we did a West Coast run with them. Oh, Nice. And then this time around, we're going to come out and play some headline shows in September. Um, it's almost finished being booked. Uh, but yeah, it will be finishing in, in, in New York again, very possibly Brooklyn, I imagine.
0: Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. So have we already started working on new music or are we still just writing out Where Myth Becomes Memory?
2: I think we're very much kind of still enjoying the work that went into that and the fact that the record's out. I think there's definitely sort of a danger of... Um, Taking all of that for granted, if we kind of immediately move on to to new stuff, I mean you know the record's been out for a couple of months now. we've played eight shows since it's been out. I still want to kind of enjoy the experience of of playing that live and kind of seeing how the songs develop, the more we play them in in that kind of environment and yeah, I think you know until I've thoroughly digested that and how the songs make me feel after that, I won't be ready to write new music.
0: I think that's the way to go, James. You just have to enjoy it. It's a great record, a lot of work, and a lot of time went into it coming out, so just enjoy the
2: ride. Thank you very much yeah i'm going I'm gonna do that the best that I can. I think you know the the record's out um we're gonna be playing shows uh yeah we're we're about to announce some some European dates for the summer, and then, like I said yeah the u s headline dates will follow later this year, and yeah that that's that's kind of that really I think to go back to the earlier question that we were, that you were asking me about uh, the last time I heard a band that I got really excited about. So there's a band that I really like an American band called greet death. Yes. Uh, um, And they've like, like I I loved the first record new hell Um, that kind of really sort of knocked me off my feet when it came out and they've been kind of quietly without, you know, a great deal of fanfare releasing new singles. I don't know if it's going to be sort of, something that ends up being a full length again or what, but like everything they've put out this year has been so, so good, like quite different uh, to the last record other than the most recent single. But like, it's so well developed and the songwriting's so good that the songs have just, yeah, really, really made um, an impact on me.
0: I'm so happy you brought them up. I'm obsessed with I Hate Everything. I like all the singles they put out, but I Hate Everything hit me in a way that few songs do.
2: Yeah, there's just something about like, I mean, for me, I mean, I I play in a band with two vocalists, but most of my favorite bands have two vocalists in them. And I love that they have two vocalists who both have such distinct singing voices. And there's clearly like a real sort of um, shared element to the songwriting there. And yeah, they, they just have like this real sort of natural charisma to what they do. And yeah, I, I love I love all the new singles so far and I'm just really looking forward to seeing what they do next. Uh, I think Your Love Is Alcohol is maybe the one that I like the best with the piano on it of the, of the new tracks. Because again, it's just so far removed from the previous record, which, you know, it's kind of got that new wave of shoegazy post whatever kind of vibe to it that has been very done at this point, I think. So for them to kind of pivot to something else, I think definitely shows they've got you know, more to offer
0: a hundred percent. I hate everything. And your love is alcohol. That's my number one and two. There you go. So you've got good taste, James. That's why I like you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, James, I really appreciate you and the band and what you're creating and what you're doing. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me tonight.
2: It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. And hopefully we can uh, say hello in person uh, somewhere in Brooklyn later this year.
0: There you have it, folks, James Spence. Excellent conversation. I'm so glad that I got to talk to somebody from Rolo Tomasi. You know, it was great to hear about the history of the band and their evolution and sound has been incredible, going back and listening to all of those records. And, you know, like I told James, I got that hit when I listened to Rolo Tomasi. Cloaked was the song I heard for the first time. I listened to it 10 times in a row. And I'm just so happy that I have this platform. So when I hear a band that grabs me like that, I can reach out to them and say, hey, do you want to come on the show? And sometimes they do. So really awesome to get to talk to James.
1: Yes, totally. Super nice dude. And one thing about that band that I love, it's like they do an awesome combo of like the heavy, mathy hardcore layered post rock textures, incredibly well done vocals that complement both nice individuals in the band. They also have this like, fear before the march of flames aesthetic like you go back in the day and look at them when they were young like they had this like artsy hardcore thing going on and now they have like the breakdowns of meshuga and like the production of like macedon they have everything going for them i really love the band and also another thing about them is in that interview you hear like how they like kind of how to break it south by southwest you as somebody who lives in austin is like played south by southwest all the time that's really hard to do you know like you, you go into that, that festival thinking you're going to like make it big. Someone's going to see you reality of it is I got to hang out at the artist lounge this, this year, humblebreck. And it was just like a bunch of like 20 year olds from the UK that like are so broke and are trying to figure out like how to just like get a free white claw and like a burger because <laughs> they don't, they don't even like dude. these bands are like losing money on this thing. Like shout out South by Southwest. So I thought, I thought that was really awesome. And they've just like gone so far, such a great band. All, the other fun thing about uh, where myth becomes memory, uh, I can tell you for a fact, Keith. The longest I've ever jump roped was forty-eight minutes because I jump roped through all of where myth becomes memory
0: through the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Wow, yeah. I've been working on my cardio. That's amazing, mm-hmm, and it was awesome. I was slamming like every time I jump on the ground, like I could feel like the those like those deep bass cuts. Boom! It was. I felt like I was two hundred pounds, but I felt like light as a feather. It was beautiful.
0: I have an idea, Corey. Get ready for this. Rolo Tomasi glassing tour. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, let's do it. But the only problem is that we're going to have to add Conjure on top of that.
0: I'm sure we can get that done. Anyway, thank you so much, James, for coming on the show. Fantastic. We loved it. Now, Corey, let's talk about how we are doing. Now, folks, we have attended gigs, many gigs, <laughs> and we are going to talk about them right now. Now, this past Monday... I got to see Soft Kill and House of Harm at St. Vitus. Now, Catherine Moan opened the show. Unfortunately, I did not make it there in time for Catherine Moan because I was doing an interview for this podcast. Shout out to Catherine Moan. Sorry, I missed it. Uh, Direct support for Soft Kill was House of Harm. I mentioned them in the first segment. I was blown away. They were great. They do this new style of Joy Division post-punk you know, the electronic influence thing. I I loved it. I loved it. The album is Vicious Pastimes. Once again, folks, check it out if you haven't heard it. And Soft Kill. Boy oh boy. Incredible live set. People were dancing. People were having a good time. And Tobias, at one point, you know, he just gave this speech talking about how fentanyl and drugs are, are just running rampant and the friends he's lost. And it was really great to hear that. Because that's my life. You know, I'm involved in recovery. It's a, it's an everyday part of my life. So I really like that aspect of the band that Tobias is speaking out about that. Loved the gig. Great to get to see those bands.
1: Yeah, and, and Keith, they played awesome. They did the same thing. And it was, you know, kind of emotional. You're watching a band and they're absolutely crushing it. Uh, by the way, their merch game's on point. I would buy uh, soft kill curtains if they made them. But they're also just real as fuck, dude. They just... They'll tell you what it's like, you know, the dude basically gave us his life story in like two sentences and then crush it live. So I'm with you, man. They were amazing. And I really love the message that they're doing.
0: Yeah. So Corey, now you have to tell us about Oblivion Access Fest. There's a lot of great bands that played, including Glassing.
1: Uh, Glassing played Oblivion Access Fest. I was really blown away by a handful of bands. Um, Number one, Spectral Voice. Holy shit! Uh, this is one of those bands like you buy this shirt and it's got that like you know black metal death metal kind of uh, text font to it. You can't read what it says, so um, I didn't buy the shirt because no one would know I was supporting Spectral Voice. But I, <laughs> I bought their music online anyway. Uh, it, it was incredible, and they played like inside at this like this tiny little swanky club. By the way, shout out to Oblivion Access Fest. Like Dusty and Dorian, those dudes really know how to bring the grit to otherwise like a, a Tesla, you know, just tech driven Austin city right now. So gosh, it was so much fun. I got to see so many good friends. Spectral voice blew me away. Um, Thou put on like the heaviest set at 1 p.m. <laughs> it was right next to, <laughs> gosh, it was so fun. It was like, it was like industry meeting, you know, uh, the the punk DIY ethos. It was incredible, like the the way it all worked. So Thou was playing at like 1.30 on a Friday, right? And like literally next door, like there's construction for like a new bank or something right downtown. And Brian, the singer, he's like, hey, uh, in between songs, like, can I get some more crane in my microphone? Can I get some more uh there's literally construction happening right next door? <laughs> it was the videos from that are just incredible. Um, the body put on like the heaviest that I've ever seen. You know, the body is like a band right now that's doing a lot of like super experimental, a bunch of splits you know getting outside of the comfort zone but then when they put on a show where it's just them like doing what they you know their bread and butter the walls were shaking dude it was like one of the heaviest things i've ever seen uniform wait uniform
0: played i i need to see that band i had mike burdan on the show recently
1: burdan is awesome he uh i got to chat with him for a little bit too because uh, he had a little podcast going for a while that was that was super awesome and yeah uniform played and they had a guest bass player and it was mitch from thou and arguably the most fun uniform set they've ever played. And I'm speaking on behalf of the band right now. It was a blast. It was in the same like tiny little room at the swanky club in downtown Austin, like it, you know, on a Friday, uh, just so much fun. Like people crowd surfing in this like tiny little 10 foot ceiling room. Portrayal um, guilt put on an amazing show. Uh, Grievo absolutely crushed it. Um, I mean, but then like you got to see people like Danny Brown play uh, one of the most like fun, fucked up like hip hop uh, artists out there right now. He's just moved to Austin. He's got a fun podcast as well. Um, What else did I see? Uh, Oh, okay. So I got to see grouper in a church, dude. It was like spiritual. Like it was healing. In fact, so I go from watching Converge outside at Mohawk, which is like kind of the best venue in Austin, straight over like hauling ass running to a church, this big like giant Presbyterian church. And Grouper is playing just healing, spiritual, quiet, beautiful music. So imagine like going from like the one end of the spectrum to the other, like covering all aspects of the ethos of like punk and hardcore and just beautiful music. Dude, I believe in Excess was was a really special fucking fest. And then one of the funnest parts was so. Also, I have to say, like shout out to my wife for helping with merch all the time. In fact, last night uh, we opened for a, a comeback kid, uh, who by the way have aged like a fine wine. I call him Comeback Man now. But uh, my wife does merch for us, and she's a, just a total boss. And so the ultimate challenge came when we played between Uniform and Primitive Man. And I don't know if you were familiar with Primitive Man, but is literally the heaviest band on the planet. So we set up the merch table like between the indoor and the outdoor stage at this like this at the swanky place in Austin where they play the dirty punk show shout out to oblivion access fest for making that happen again and so after we play you know there's like a handful of people that are like trying to get merch and the ultimate challenge was my wife selling merch in the dark with a card reader that you have to like by the way i got a a penny stuck in it once it was like old money messing up the new money kind of thing it was like this weird juxtaposition and she's trying to like sell merch while primitive man is playing in the background So she's basically using sign language to communicate how much it costs to buy a shirt. And then you got Primitive Man playing in the background. It was hilarious watching her do this. And I just gave her a huge hug and basically gave her all the money we made that day because she's a boss. Um, So yes, Bolivian Access Fest was awesome.
0: What was that? crazy outdoor was that part of some oblivion fest that crazy outdoor show with converge and easy prey and uh, expander what was that
1: okay yeah so after oblivion access fest happened um uh, my, my boy maddie he uh, does this thing called um bad larry burgers like this awesome pop-up burger thing so what he said was all right after oblivion access fest is done you know f- thursday friday saturday sunday uh, Converge flies out on Monday. What if we could just get them to play on, it's called Rainy Street. This is the bro bar street. All right. Like think like dirty Sixth street. Like, I don't know what you have in, in Philly. That's like the, the bro street where like all the dirty bars are. Right. So he has this idea where he's going to have Converge play on a Monday before they fly out at noon and Converge is going to just play on the street somehow home and this is maddie from uh from mall walker
0: yeah he was talking about that bro strip when he was on the show
1: yeah so yeah so he's he set up there um and he's been doing this for a little while like he'll do like monday night kind of matinee shows which is brilliant by the way like we're getting too old we should probably like start playing earlier in the day this (laughs) exceeded all expectations at noon on a monday he gets converge cave in expander and easy prey and expander uh they they define themselves as time zapped neuro punk booster gang that's what expander is badass band i think uh kurt blue has recorded them so he asked specifically for them to be on easy praise mass fan but they deserve to be on anyway and they crush it dude it was so sick Converts played saddest day at noon on a bro bar street on a monday Oh the place God. was going off. I mean, you could you could check out on like all the Instagram pictures and shit, dude. It was like one of the coolest things ever. I decided like, all right, I'm too old to crowd surf. Then they ended with concubine, and I had to jump. And then like the seas parted, like like I was Moses, except like I just landed on my head and I was concussed for a <laughs> week. So that was fun. Uh, I don't crowd surf anymore, but it was fire, as the kids would say.
0: Wow, wow, I I. Oh, I would, I would love to see them play Saddest Day,
1: Saddest Day again. And like, I guess the Saddest Day is a Monday because it was, man, it was, it was so rad. That's incredible.
0: And how was your gig? Didn't you play Oblivion Nexus Glassing?
1: Yes, we had an awesome time. Um, lot, lot, lot of news coming up. I actually might be able to add a little uh, color to that. We have some new news, so we have some new stuff coming out. We just recorded a, a new record, or we would call it a new EP. Um, that's already set. It's ready to come out. We're going to be touring in the fall. Um, I think by the time this episode drops, this will all be already be announced. So I can say, but, um, we're going to do some fests, uh, one with uh, Colt Leaguer in Salt Lake city. I'm looking forward to that. One's called, um, crucial fest. That'll be really fun. We're also doing post fest. Um, and that one's got, uh, Boris and nothing and Pelican. Um, so many good bands. We're looking forward to that. We're going to do a few dates with Pelican. I'm excited about that as well. On the East Coast, we will be doing a few dates with uh, Dreamwell and Lesser Glow. So kind of covering that like Screamo, but also the sludge element of us. So that's perfect because we get to kind of play with like all of the kind of sides of of what we do. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Providence-based Dreamwell band, as well as the like super sludgy band from um, Boston called Lesser Glow. Really excited for all of that, um, and then we we put out some new shirts that are very uh, anti-religious. I'm not excited for my dad to see. It's got a nun yeah. just chugging a uh, rosary down her throat. So that'll be fun. Yeah. So Glasson got some new stuff coming out. We got we have the the new record or the new EP and uh, some tour dates coming up.
0: That's exciting. Any New York City dates? Mm-hmm.
1: Hey. All right. You heard it here first. Brooklyn at Saint Vitus with Lesser Glow and Dreamwell on. Memorial Day. No. Yes, on Memorial Day.
0: Wow. Okay. Awesome. Because, uh, wait, isn't Memorial Day like next week?
1: Labor Day. My bad.
0: (laughs) Oh, Labor Day. Yeah. I mixed them up too. No. Okay. Labor Day. Okay. This is exciting. It's so weird, Corey. I haven't seen you since. There. I saw Glassing in 2018, I think, but I didn't even know you then. It, It was, yeah, I think it was 2019, but it
1: was at that same spot. Yeah. We can like memorialize the moment we met. In the same place. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, man, it'll be fun. I can't wait. Okay, so... And I can make it up to you for seeing you at um at Furnace Fest and not saying hi.
0: Oh, that's right. I've completely <laughs> forgot about that.
1: Yeah. Man, I wish you would have said hi. There were points
0: where I was just walking around by myself.
1: No, remember, this was me saying, what would Keith do? And Keith would not go up to Keith and say hi. But if you're Corey from Glassing, you can. All right. From now on, like, that joke was funny the first time I did it, but I'll never do it again. <laughs>
0: There's some very sad and tragic news this week as well that we want to address. There was a school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. 21 dead tragically. I was reading the news today. The kids were 2 days from graduation and I'm gutted. I mean just saying that right now my stomach drops. I I'm so sick of the repeated violence and the inactivity on anybody in power's part to actually do anything about it. Corey, you're, you're from Texas. Let me hear your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah. It it hits close home. I mean, it doesn't matter where it's happening. You're going to feel just sick over this continuing to occur. But um, look, I don't have kids. I know, you know, you don't either, but this is way past any, anything like that. I mean, I'm actually looking at an elementary school as we speak, dude. Um, I live on a corner house right next to this. And dude, these kids are, like my friends um, I mean there's just there's just no there's really nothing else to be said other than it's just disgusting and it's it, it's hurtful to humanity to continue to allow anything like this to occur is there anything more fucked up than than what this is other than not doing anything about it the only thing more fucked up than what's happening is the fact that we're allowing it to happen.
0: Oh yeah, time and time again with no action and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Something's got to change and something's got to change soon. So, our deepest condolences to anybody affected by this tragedy. It's just it's just terrible.
1: And beyond that, dude, like one thing I like about this podcast and and the general scene that we are talking about all the time here is that there's this accepted notion of intolerance towards this type of bullshit right we all agree i mean the reason we all make the kind of music that we do and that we listen to the kind of music that we do and that we have this sort of the things that we're trying to get out of ourselves emotionally none of us have any tolerance for this bullshit right and that's one thing like i mean just like being at the show last night and being at Oblivion Access Fest this weekend you just you just feel it in the air you know and i'm sure you felt it at Softkill too you're surrounded by people that you know would never accept any sort of acceptance of the status quo which is disgusting right now and that's why i love being a part of the hardcore metal punk scene because like it's 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 a home it's a family it's for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons but when it comes to this kind of shit and there's very few things that we don't tolerate but this is fucking one of them
0: yeah i feel like we're most of us are on the same page and that's why i love this community we don't have the solutions but we hope that they're out there so we're going to continue hoping now folks That's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it, Corey?
1: Hey, have me on anytime. It's always a blast to be here and keep doing what you're doing, Keith.
0: Thank you, Corey. Thank you. I'm looking forward to seeing you and folks. We're back next week with a brand new episode and a brand new guest. So thanks everybody for listening and until next time.